Welcome to Valley Church, everyone. My name is Mark. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here, and I'm just really glad to see you guys. And it's an amazing Sunday. Um, today, we are continuing our series in Matthew, and we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 18. And I just want you to know, that means only 10 more chapters to go until Matthew. <laughs> it's a big deal. <laughs> big deal. Home stretch. Here we go, guys. I, I know it's... Uh, taken a while to get here, and we're still not really even that close to being done. So, uh, But chapter 18 is a pretty significant chapter. Um, there are five main sections in it, um, and we're going to start with the question about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and then there's some other awesome stuff throughout this chapter, mostly to do with conflict within the church, uh, which is pretty interesting. There's a, a couple parables and cool stories like that. But Today, we're looking at verses one through four, which doesn't seem like a lot, but um, I think it's really important because so far, the disciples and the conversations that they've had with Jesus and their understanding of the kingdom of heaven seems to be lacking so far. And when Jesus is talking about what the kingdom is actually going to be like, it seems like they're getting it, but this question kind of says otherwise. So we're going to get into that um, and also with today, some of the things that uh, the disciples value and some of the things that we even value are not necessarily important for the kingdom of heaven. So as I was reading this, uh, I was looking at these verses and it reminded me of when I was in college. So I went to Concordia University. Uh, it is no longer around anymore. Rest in peace, Concordia University. They went bankrupt, which is kind of sad, like when you're like, hey, the institution that I chose to spend a lot of money at no longer exists. You're like, bummer, did I choose poorly? Um, either way, I was in their business program, um, but the thing I really loved and cared about the most was golf. You could probably guess that, Sam, by... Uh, how much I know about golf versus business, um, but we, we were a very successful golf team, won some conference championships, and like I also did pretty well individually, and essentially I put like all my time, uh, hopes, dreams, effort into golf, and it showed with all the awards and accolades and stuff that we achieved. However, I got a taste of how much that would matter when graduation day came. So my last name starts with an A, Arima, and usually that's pretty cool because uh, in graduation ceremonies, like I've heard when you're towards the end, you're just sitting there like, oh my gosh, we're only in the M's, like it's never gonna get there. Um, but being an A, last name is fantastic. I'm usually like second or third on the list, and that was the case here. However, this time, not soon enough. Not soon enough. So during the graduation ceremony, they said, like, all your achievements academically, and then they said your name. Unfortunately for me, the person that was announced before me graduated summa cum laude. He was on the dean's list, like, he was the business program's top student. He also uh, was what's what in Concordia University history was called the champion of character like nominee and he won the whole thing. Basically, it's for the academic, athletic and character like that was just, so this guy was like super smart, athletic and he was a nice guy so you couldn't even hate him for it. So he 
was this amazing guy. Essentially, they just kept listing off all these accolades. It's like, summa cum laude, best person ever, <laughs> greatest high fives, never boring conversation. Like, and then they're like, Jesse, and then everyone's like, ah! and then Mark Arima. And I'm like, and my mom's like, yay! And I'm like, cool, cool. And in that moment, I was like, wow. Like, they didn't announce any of my golf achievements or like that. I really funny when you get to know me and stuff like that. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing of that sort. They only said my name, and then my mom was happy. So. Um, all that to say, I, like, in that moment, I asked myself, did I focus on the right thing? Did I have my focus on the right thing? Because when I read these verses today, I kind of think about the same thing. When I read these verses, I ask myself, am I focusing on the right things when it comes to Jesus and the kingdom of heaven? Because these verses will give us a lens to view the rest of this chapter and hopefully be able to fully understand and take in what Jesus has to say about what is important in the kingdom of heaven. So I'm going to pray. I want you to think about some of those things like what do you have your focus on? So let me pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this Sunday. Thank you for the fact that you are here with us, uh, that your spirit is already guiding us and uh, the fact that we're here, Lord, means that you want to do something in our lives. So, Lord, would we get out of the way for that to happen? Lord, would we listen to your voice? Lord, would uh, the scripture today um, inform us more of what you care about, what you're like, what your kingdom will look like? So, Jesus, we need you for that, and we thank you again for today. And uh, again, uh, let this be all about you, and uh, may we learn more about you. Amen. Okay, so chapter 18, verse one. Um, I'll just read the, the four verses and we'll go from there. So it says in verse one, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So just these four verses, pretty simple, but this is where Jesus begins this major discourse, and it's easy to overlook this verse and jump to the ones about like how to deal with conflict and things like that. However, again, I think this helps inform those verses. So in the first verse, the disciples are asking Jesus the question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So according to the text, the disciples and Jesus are still in Capernaum, and not that much time has passed since the two drachma temple tax. Um, that still is up for a band name, if you want to claim it. Uh, towards the end of chapter 17, they were talking about, like, what, who owes this tax and Jesus uh, tells his disciples how to deal with it. Let's, let's pay the tax. Let's better to pay this tax and not try to offend anyone than to, uh, even though we have the freedom, to not pay it. So they sort out that, and they sort of out of the blue, it seems like, because like, 
two drachma temple tax, and then like, who then's the greatest? That seems kind of like an out of the blue type of question. They ask this, and essentially they're asking, who is the best? Who is the best disciple, Jesus? Who among us is the top dog? They most likely want to know because Jesus predicted his death not too long uh, before the, the temple tax verses, and maybe there's this pecking order that seems to be forming. Peter, probably the assumed top person because it was him who uh, Jesus said, I will build the church on you, Peter. You are the rock on which I will build the church. And then we have James and John probably following up closely behind him because they're involved in the transfiguration and they were able to witness that. Or maybe it's simply because they're just human and they wanna know who the best is. Who is the best? A question that I think if we're honest with ourselves, we ask quite a lot. Like maybe not so much about the kingdom of heaven, maybe you're not asking yourself, am I the greatest? But maybe more about your place in life. Maybe among your family, maybe among your friends. Definitely this happens in workplaces, in our relationships. Asking ourselves, how smart am I compared to other people? Am I successful enough? Am I a good enough parent? How much money is enough money? How much should I be making? How happy am I compared to other people? How good of a social media following should I have? Do I get enough likes? Do I have enough followers? Do I post stuff that matters? Whatever mark society has set, sometimes we find ourselves asking, how do I stack up? How do I compare? And that status comes in many different forms. So there's there's this question of how do I stack up? We ask that a lot. And especially when we're comparing ourselves to other people, these ideals, these thoughts, whatever, whatever you might be thinking, we tend to lose this view of what the kingdom of heaven is truly about. In desiring this high status that Jesus wants his disciples to think and be about, um, I don't think he wants us to worry about that at all. Is that the way our society encourages us to think? Heck yeah, all the time. We're always encouraged to think about what our status is, where we stack up. That's a lot of pressure. And uh, man, Sometimes it feels good when you're on the top, but man, when you're towards the bottom or not even mentioned, it hurts. And we don't need to take that long in our society to to see what it values. I love going on ESPN, but they always talk about the GOAT and whatever, like, is Tom Brady the GOAT? Well, of course he is. He's won so many Super Bowls, and he looks the same as he did when he was drafted in the league. He's probably the GOAT. LeBron, is he the GOAT or is MJ the GOAT? Everyone loves to discuss who the greatest of all time is in politics. I won't mention too much there because that's so crazy. We were always concerned and consumed with who has the power, who doesn't have the power, who has the best takes on where our society is at. On social media, it's about the followers. In business, who has the greatest market share? We love to view like ourselves in terms of status, power, authority, who has the most, who has the least. 
it's kind of like, it's, it's crazy to think about that that is a lot of what our society cares so much about. But Jesus, seeing this in his disciples as an obstacle, answers this question in a crazy and a little unexpected and unique way, I think. So in verse two, he goes uh, and calls a little child to him and placed a child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change, become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So I, I would expect the disciples are fully expecting Jesus to name one of them. They're probably going like, oh, Jesus is probably gonna say Peter. He's, he's the rock. He's the guy. He's kind of our assumed leader. Like, they're probably gonna mention him or like in the, like, going like big biblical like story, like Moses. He's probably just gonna say Moses or something like that or Elijah or even King David. He's probably gonna say something like that. But like, he's, they're not expecting that he's like, hey, little kid, come over here. Like, this would be like me asking like Maggie or Cedar even, like one of my little girls to come over and like stand before him like, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This little kid right before you. Now, this is where I think uh, scholars and commentaries are super helpful because at first glance, it might be easy to read this with a, like, through our current cultural, like, eyes, um, children are viewed as, like, innocent and, like, imaginative, full of wonder, like, like wow, does Jesus want, like, that to be the case? Or maybe it's because they're not tainted by, like, how cruel society is yet, and, like, we're supposed to be like that. Oh, but they're just so cute and adorable. Jesus wants to be cute and adorable. That's what we're supposed to be as followers of Jesus. Um, but they're also, kids are also immature. Like, how much discipline does my four-year-old daughter have? Very little, unless there's ice cream involved, maybe. Um, also, kids are super selfish and messy. Oh, how messy. We just clean. We just follow them around and we clean. We're just like, they're like, Play-Doh! Everywhere, clean up after them. They're like, Legos! Clean up after them. They're like, spaghetti! And let's pour some juice on it. Ah, they're just so messy. So Jesus isn't asking us to be like those typical thoughts that we have with a kid. Um, however, he does want us to have humility. And when we look at the children in this instance, children during Jesus' time had a very low social status, probably the equivalent to like a slave or a deaf person, someone very low on the totem pole as far as someone with authority, someone with power, someone with any say as to what was going on. And they were Kids were also dependent, obviously, on their caretakers, maybe even more so back then, to keep them alive and tell them what to do. So Jesus brought forward this little kid with the least of everything before them to answer the question. Michael J. Wilkins says, Jesus celebrates the humility that comes from the child's weakness, defenselessness, and vulnerability. The child can really do nothing for himself or herself and will die if left alone. It is the kind of humility that Jesus uses as a visual aid. So to sum it up, Jesus is not telling everyone to act like a little kid, to act like a child, but become like a child in their social status. So take on this status of being weak and defenseless and vulnerable 
In some translations uh, of the Bible, the word change uh, is translated as repent uh, or to turn away from, which I think is like this really good picture of like we are turning away from our desires for high social status and we are turning towards a low social status, similar to that of a child. To take a spot of humility or we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Crazy harsh words and harsh truth right there. You need this type of humility to enter the kingdom of heaven. Otherwise, verse four, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So who's the best? The lowly, the meek, the humble, like this little kid. Simple to understand, but goes entirely against what we know, what we're basically like brought up to do to like achieve like in our grades, in our job, and like the accolades that we receive for doing such goes against a lot of the things that we know. But it doesn't go against the things that Jesus has said and continues to say in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 16, 25, he says, for, who ha- eh. for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Following Jesus means leaving behind all the earthly things that we've built up, and stored, and sometimes it means we have to leave behind the reputation that we once had. I think of the rich young ruler when Jesus says, you gotta sell everything to come follow me. Matthew 20, 16, so the last will be first and the first shall be last. Humility is something that we need to enter the kingdom and something that uh, truly is the greatest. So putting others first valuing others more than ourselves, serving others. I think of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. I think of Jesus approaching lepers and people with sicknesses, the outcasts of society, not worried about his own reputation in the process, and also not doing it in this like crazy, unhealthy way, but also loving and serving out of this overflow of love. So, just four verses here. Some of the application points are pretty simple, but I wanna just talk through them again as we, uh, as we think about these things for ourselves. How do we apply this passage to our lives? That's really what it comes down to. And the first thing that uh, I wanna talk about is who can I serve and love today? That's just like a simple, like, humility-based question when we think of like, who is humble? Who does things for other people? Who can I serve and love today? Sometimes the best way to get our focus off of ourselves and our own desires is to serve other people. Um, I know, uh, if you haven't met Carol yet, she's our new children's director, and she's amazing. And she is serving the kids down there like crazy and doing an amazing job and recruiting a lot of you. I'm like, oh, they're they're. They're on the list now, that's cool, that's awesome. That is a way you are selflessly giving of yourselves because there is no way our kids are repaying you 
money or like the credit you actually deserve for serving in the kids' ministry. It is a thankless job. I see it. It's awesome, so thank you so much. But the fact that there's um, someone down there that like really hasn't earned anything from you, you're just going down there and making sure that they have a fun time learning about Jesus and you're playing with them and getting to know them. That is a way to selflessly serve and love someone. I think of just random conversations that you can have, especially like as we go through our day in the grocery store. I a lot of checkers uh, and especially people in like the customer service industry, I've noticed have really appreciated when you are not a jerk to them, especially lately. Uh, a lot of them have been quitting and things like that and going like, uh, forget this. <laughs> like, I'm not making minimum wage to do this. Um, so kind conversations, man, loving them and just asking them how they're truly doing goes so far. Like, simple things like that. Grabbing the door for someone, uh, buying someone a coffee and getting to know them. Uh, I love it when I hear, uh, like, so-and-so got, like, coffee with Patty or something like that. And they're like, for no other reason than just to get to know one another. And I would say, like, don't TikTok it or throw it on Instagram or anything like that. Just do it as a reflection of what Jesus has done for you. Even if it's just one person, like, it doesn't need to be like, oh, 80 people today, I'm winning. It's not about the amount, but it's about the fact that you are, again, doing this out of this love and overflow of what Jesus has done for you. Also wanna mention, uh, sometimes we have this like false humility that almost like hurts us in the process. And what I mean by that is that um, sometimes we can like serve because we, that's where we get our value or our worth from. That's not what, we're after here. That's not what the Lord wants. He doesn't want you to be known just as like, mm, that's all that person is worth, just the, what they serve and what they do. That's, that is not Jesus. You are made in the image of God. You are loved. You are valuable beyond what you do. However, um, there is something to, um, like, again, that service and love out of the overflow of what Jesus has done for you. So, um, when I look at this passage too, uh, moving on from that point, um, the disciples were focused on who the best was and they wanted to know who the top disciple was. And again, I ask you, what are you focused on? Because for some of us today, it is money. Like some of us like are losing jobs. Some of us are between jobs. Some of us are unhappy with our job and wanna make more money different schedule, maybe there's some relationship stuff we're focused on, lack of relationships or rough relationship, or maybe it is truly about social status. You are, you are not where you wanna be. Maybe for some of us, it's not that we're focused on those things, it's we're in this comparison battle in our heads, comparing ourselves to our family, our friends, celebrities, or even online personalities. Um, I, w I would encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to you because sometimes they can be hidden and we might not even realize how much hope and how much uh, of our time and energy is being focused on those things. 
but we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to us because we all have something that tends to draw us from the Lord. For me, I love comfort, which like, who doesn't love comfort? I love to be comfortable and like relax and stuff like that, but I will lose my focus in the Lord by focusing on like what makes life the easiest, which isn't necessarily the Jesus way because sometimes there are hard things Jesus is asking of me and I wanna be comfortable. So I'm like, no Jesus, I wanna eat pizza and sit at home and watch TV instead of loving someone like I should or having that tough conversation because I'm in maybe a conflict or things like that. And tonight, I think the Lord is asking all of us to take these steps towards humility. And this sounds, it's like a little funny sounding, but I wish I could make this like list uh, that each of us could complete. And then after, we would be like these like super humble Christians and you'd be good to go. But I feel like that would be a little ironic even to like make a list and you would accomplish it. And then you'd be like, hey, look at my status. I am humble now. So it, it feels a little off and weird, but I've, I do feel like allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us and do some things. Because truly, like, like true humility probably comes only from the Lord and from the Holy Spirit doing work in our hearts and our minds and allowing that transformation to happen and sitting at the feet of Jesus, like just reflecting on what his love is like, his unrelenting love, doing that over and over again. I think that's where humility comes from, doing that over and over again. And if we're truly seeking humility like Jesus wants us to, we need to value it and actually live it. So I have this uh, super cool catchphrase. Um, it's humbly let Jesus lead. That's so catchy and so cool that you'll never forget it. Um, but in, in this, uh, sometimes Chris and I watch like strange reality TV shows, um, <laughs> like Hoarders. How many of you have seen Hoarders? <laughs> okay, yeah. So. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's about these people with uh, a disorder where they hoard things. It's like the name implies. And they do it to the detriment of like their house, their finances, their relationships, just like, and they stack their houses to the brim with just stuff. Sometimes garbage, sometimes valuable trinkets, and uh, like maybe they lost a loved one and they just hold all their stuff and they lose another one and they just bring all their stuff and they don't get rid of anything. And so eventually, sometimes in the process of the show, they get this person, like a hoarding expert to come in and they go like item by item with this person saying, hey, this is either keep it, donate it, recycle it, or trash it. And I think for us, that's the way we need to think about our lives with Jesus. Not that like our lives are a bunch of garbage hoarded up or anything like that. That's where the analogy breaks down a little bit, okay? But I think for us to have that mindset of we need to let Jesus have access to every little single thing of our lives, to humbly allow him to point at those things and say like, yeah, keep that. Or we need to get rid of that. Or that needs to be repurposed. That is, that is a garbage can. It is not a water bucket or something like that. I don't know. But essentially, we need to let Jesus humbly lead 
And that means we need to let him into sometimes our mess and the things that we want to hide. We need to be like that with our entire lives, every single day, letting Jesus lead the way. And the things that we are chasing and get focused on and compare ourselves to, are we willing to let Jesus lead us in those things? Are we willing to let, are we willing to turn away from it and go the other way? See, there's this crazy, uh, like, like convergence of how like humility and faith, they're like intertwined and they need, like in order to have this true faith that I feel like Jesus is calling us to, we need this humility. In order to have humility, we need this crazy faith to follow after Jesus. And Jesus is asking us to do both of these things at the exact same time. Um, A while ago, I was in New Zealand when I was like, in middle school, this is like not a while ago, a long time ago when I was like a little kid, okay? Um, and we're, there's these cool like glowworm caves and I put on this like wetsuit that weighed a ton and I hopped in this inner tube and we went in this little like winding creek that turned into this underwater cave. These caves have been carved out after years and years of the water like just eroding it and it was crazy. It was like 100 feet underneath the ground and during uh, one part of the, of the excursion or whatever you want to call it, um, you had to essentially stand on this little cliff and jump like what looked like hundreds of feet into the abyss because it was pitch black and you couldn't see the end. It was probably only like 15 feet, but I was 13, so it was super scary. Um, but I stood over this cliff thing and like I saw my dad just jump in before me and just literally go into the darkness and I heard the splash and he disappeared. I was like, oh gosh, he died. Um, And then like the guy behind me who was like leading us through this uh, whole thing was like, all right, your turn. He's like, just make sure you jump more than two feet. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna hit these jagged rocks and no one's ever gonna see me again. I'll be like swept away with the glowworms and die. Um, But as I was like, thinking about this passage and what Jesus is asking us to do. It's like this crazy leap of faith with humility. So like a leap of faith humility that Jesus is asking us all to do every single day. But the cool thing about this was in the cave, I saw my dad jump before me and that is a lot like what Jesus does for us. He goes first. Jesus jumped into that abyss first showing us how to do it, knowing that we are scared and we want to do everything the opposite of that. Instead of going into the abyss, we want to go the opposite, opposite way of what we know and what we are comfortable with. But Jesus says, follow me. It's going to be freaking amazing. And in that glowworm cave, like once I jumped in, it was so cool. Like, like, hundreds of feet up in the air, like these glow glowworms just like looking like stars and galaxies. And I was just floating in this inner tube with my dad and like a bunch of other people in these uncomfortable wetsuits. But I was like having the time of my life. And so I don't know what it is that you are getting focused on tonight, but I definitely feel that the Holy Spirit is calling you to take a leap of faith 
and humility and turn the other way, even though it feels like you're jumping into nothing. It feels like you're jumping into something that feels super crazy, unsafe. But Jesus is going before you. And also, I had that guide with me, like the Holy Spirit. It was kind of, this analogy is so like crazy now that I reflect back on it. This guide was with me the whole time telling me, I'm with you, I got you, you can do this. And that is the one thing with humility, following faith in Jesus, capable of doing crazy things that we have never thought we were able, capable of doing, like forgiveness, like loving people that are hard to love, like finding in, like through the Holy Spirit to go through life even though some tragedies might have happened to deal with heartache, to deal with anxiety and depression, to do so many things with that leap of faith and humility. Man, that is what it's all about, following Jesus. So as we continue through chapter 18 and as the band comes up and we uh, go to pray and go into communion, again, what are you focused on? What is drawing you your eyes, your, your focus away from the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to maybe point that out to you tonight. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna go into our, our time of worship. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you that you are here with us. Holy Spirit, you're guiding us. You are pushing us towards that edge where we need to jump into this, what looks like darkness and the unknown. But Lord, again, Jesus, you, you go before us. You are with us always. And you went first, Lord. And you continue to go first. And may we do the same for you. May you be the, the thing that we have our eyes fixed on. Lord, may our hearts be not molded by what we want or what society wants, but by you, Jesus. The world is super stressful and anxious, but Lord, you are, you are peace. You calm the chaos, and Lord, lead us into these beautiful pastures, these still waters. So Lord, we need, we need this humility. So help us to set ourselves aside and help us to continue to chase after you with everything. We love you, Jesus, and pray all these things in your name. Amen.